Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer, and Ryan White is my live stream producer. The YouTube channel is Strange Planet. The Rumble channel is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Now, I say live streaming. However, uh, this program is pre-recorded. Coming up in the second hour, Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications, will be here with a look back at 2021 and an incredibly eventful year for UFO ET disclosure. A year that was really catapulted into history by the 2017 New York Times article by Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie Kane, and Helena Cooper, revealing the ATIP investigation with the Pentagon. And it took about four years for this revelation to seep into the media and the political entities like the U.S. Senate. And to recognize what uh, Harry Reid, former U.S. Majority Leader in the U.S. Senate, started with the $22 million appropriation for the uh, establishment of the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. And, of course, we also had the Senate Intelligence Committee voting to require U.S. intelligence agencies and the Defense Department to compile a detailed public analysis of all data collected on UAPs, including intrusions, recorded and reported by Navy pilots in recent years. And then uh, in June of uh, last year, we had the preliminary assessment of UAP by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which was a big disappointment because it was only about six pages, but still uh, a significant acknowledgement. And then in October, we had retired United States Air Force Officer Robert Salas organizing an event at the National Press Club in Washington titled UAP and Nuclear Weapons Witness Testimonies, which highlighted a series of incidents where it's claimed that UFOs were seen too close to nuclear bases and in some cases shutting down weapons. So again, Victor Vigiani, on a look back at 2021 and some of the pivotal moments in UFO ET disclosure. This hour, astrologer William Stickovers will discuss how planetary alignments affect finance, geopolitics, populist movements, and civil unrest in the coming year. William utilizes a broad scope of political, economic, psychological, spiritual, and metaphysical knowledge to systematically explore possibilities about the future and how they can emerge from the present by weaving current secular trends, geopolitical factors, and mundane astrological portents. He's a counseling astrologer since 1988, mostly in New York and now in San Francisco. He's well-versed in psychological, horary, electional, medieval, and Renaissance branches of astrology. He's certified in astrocardiography, and he worked with Elfie Lavoie of the Astrological Institute of Research. He's lectured in the National Council for Geocosmic Research, the American Federation of Astrologers, the Astrological Society of Connecticut, the San Francisco Astrological Society, and in Germany, Romania, and Japan, in addition to being one of five astrologers recommended by Michael Luton's Financial Astrology page. William has been invited by Kepler College, We the People, and the STARS Online Astrology event and the Meta Center in New York City to participate on panel discussions on the 2016 U.S. presidential election, the political and economic future of the U.S. and the Mayan Fifth Age, respectively. William. Welcome aboard. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Really great to be on the show today. Likewise. 
Can we begin with just a really fundamental, basic crash course in astrology and planetary alignment? Well, basically what we're looking at here is the alignment of the planets in regards to how it affects human behavior, also in terms of how it affects systems worldwide, uh, the geopolitical level, financial level, the body politic of a nation, the sentiment of the publicly traded markets. All of this is manifestations of behavior that are driven by archetypal components that correlate with the movement of the planets. When Pythagoras, for example, and the ancient Greeks talked about music of the spheres, what did they believe or how did they believe that these celestial bodies can impact human behavior? What's sort of like the underpinning of planetary alignment? That what happens above reflects regards to what is below here on Earth. So that the entire cosmos is permeated with this matrix and that there is a correspondence and correlation between developments that happen in the natural world that are reflected in terms of omens, planetary alignments, the movement of stars, etc. That there's, they found very close correlations in terms of that, in terms of an individual's temperament at the time of their birth. So this goes beyond the current Newtonian model of physics that was so initiated into, we're really talking about the concept of matter. This model doesn't really apply. Like astrology deals with the matrix or the sort of the energy shifts, the state of quantum energy shifts that occur at the subtle level, at a deeper level in regards to the construct of physics. So it works more in alignment with what we see with quantum physics and string theory. And I believe that's what Pythagoras was talking about. And this was all part of a mystery school. So astrology was part of like a mystery school that eventually developed into a true medieval science by the time of the high or late medieval era or early renaissance. So that's what we're seeing that, you know, basically what we're doing today is taking those very concepts that were developed by uh, the Greeks or the Greek mystery school, and then now putting them into uh, data systems and using computers where we can look at, look at large data sets, and then we can correlate uh, particular types of behavior, particular developments in history with, uh, all, all different types of astrological correlations. It's not just about uh, planetary alignment, correct? I mean, do you include the moon, the sun? All of those, right. So we, use, we don't just use the planet in a sign or the sun sign. We're looking at declination. We're looking at uh, how outer planetary alignments converge and separate over history and how that correlates with periods of revolutions and wars. So, you know, it's, it's uh, astrology and there's many different schools of astrology. There's, there's, you know, the typical sun sign pop astrology that became very common shortly after the first world war uh, during the rise of the middle class and consumerism. And we have the more sophisticated uh, levels of, of psychological astrology uh, that was, that really came to uh, the, 
that really came into formation during the time of Carl Jung uh, and his investigations into astrology. And then we saw, especially in the 20th century, the emergence of geopolitical or mundane or global astrology. And that has to do uh, primarily what we'll be talking about today, I believe, in terms of what how astrology reflects and can occur with a great, with a good fair degree, I would say a good a high degree of precisional accuracy of where long-term trends are happening. And particularly when it comes to like paradigm shifts, what we call major shifts in the fundamental um, values and beliefs of a, of, of a civilization. Uh, you also do something called electional or you practice electional. Right. Uh, electional astrology, astrology is, uh, is the, very similar to augury astrology or horary astrology. It's the flip side. So it would be the time of when to initiate a particular action when the planets were in a position that were most fortuitous for a fortunate outcome. And the difference between the medieval and Renaissance branches. First of all, both those branches limited to the seven planets uh, all the way out to Saturn. They don't include the outer planets that were discovered in the um, 19th and 20th century. So, um, so it doesn't include Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. So that's the main thing. The second thing is that though, that type of astrology, in terms of the axioms and postulates, and uh, uh, the is very faded. Right. There's a very faded quality, the option of free choice. There's no upward social mobility based on education, uh, based on um, because the structure of society back then was very, very limited. So um, but however, uh, that was during the time of the Renaissance in particular and the time of the late, we could say sometime around uh, in, during the 1400s into the early 1600s where astrology hit its apex and uh, it was being utilized by nearly every king and prince and uh, by the Euro elite uh, during that period for decision-making, uh, for profit, for to time, uh, to, uh, for, to elect wars and invasions, etc. It's said that Nancy Reagan, for example, um, made many major decisions, I guess, in the West Wing and helped advise the president, Ronald Reagan, using astrology. And as you say, world leaders consulted their astrologers on uh, invasions and, and so forth. Why then is it in modern times often looked in, in, a, in a condescending or derisive manner by, you know, the so-called men of science? Why are they so quick to dismiss astrology? Because they use a materialistic, mechanistic model of of the world in terms of their worldview. It's based on materialism and, you know, that whole entire paradigm that, uh, you know, I mean, it's clear to me. Well, first of all, there's that element of it. The other element of it is that there's the giggle factor or the ridicule factor by the mainstream media. Um, however, what, uh, there's no real journalism on astrology going on anymore because, you know, like I happen to know, I have many different people who work at the highest levels of their particular industry in, in the film industry, in Hollywood, in, in the financial industry, in wall street with hedge fund, 
I have a number of hedge fund clients, but I'm not the only one out there. I have a number of people that I work with who work in the lobbying uh, sector of politics in Washington, uh, you know, campaign, uh, campaign managers and operation chiefs who, right? So there is a, uh, I would say that uh, it's sort of like cryptocurrency. You know, everyone says, oh, you know, I don't believe in Bitcoin, but everybody's buying it. Everybody, right? It's like every other, right? So uh, for as much as uh, it's looked down upon, uh, there's this massive uh, interest that continues to grow. So I think uh, there's, there's two, you know, I think there's the front end story that the media is projecting, that the academic, academia is projecting. And then I think there's the real populist um, undertow that's happening where there is a massive resurgent interest in astrology, especially because of the computerization and development of artificial intelligence, the integration of artificial intelligence systems with the uh, data sets and using the astrological, um, all the different astrological systems and seeing what works, what doesn't work and giving us more consistent results and much finer, uh, much better prediction accuracy. So, uh, Look, uh, most astrologers I knew, uh, the good ones at least out there, uh, are beating the prediction markets uh, about 80% of the time, right? If you can't make accurate predictions more than 70 to 80% of the time, you can't, you can't have a viable business model. Being right just over 50%, which most, most uh, of the best money managers that are out there at their very best, or only only beat the market by fifty one to fifty three percent. In fact, fifty by is a political landslide, right? But if that's was uh, astrologers are outperforming that uh, far above fifty three percent. So uh, that's another thing. So the problem is there's no real journalism. What's really happening in the field? Uh, you see, you know, and the other issue has to do with the fact that who are the biggest, the biggest name astrologers? They're the ones that write uh, the Sunside columns in Vanity Fair, for instance. They're, you know, they're not the heavyweights. They're not the ones that are working with people who are, um, are uh, major forces uh, in their respective fields. And, that's, uh, that's kind of the pop astrology that, that emerged after the First World War, I guess, that you were referencing earlier, that that's just very, uh, very sort of superficial. That's what we see in the right. newspaper, you know, Capricorn, Correct. you know, oh, meet, you'll meet a stranger today. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. So, you know, that that is the but the reality is very different. Uh, most of the astrologers I know who are very uh you know, the ones who are uh, serious astrologers, I would call them, uh, they're booked up, you know, six months to two years in advance. Uh, their fee structure uh, rivals that of a top uh, corporate attorney out there in terms of their hourly rates, um, you know, their accuracy. I can't vouch for everybody's accuracy. I mean, that tends to vary. Um, so there's that side of it. The other problem, too, is that we have a split in astrology uh, the ones who get the most voice are not only just the sun sign astrologers, but the ones who I would f- say that basically pontificate and support the neoliberal complex that we see dominating so much in the mainstream media. So, you know, no matter what Democrat, for instance, runs for office or, you know, Labor Party, they will always be projected to win regardless. And so the most new and doesn't um, happen. 
see the media uh, or, or any journalists, you know, <laughs> uh, roasting them, right? So that's that's the other issue. So uh, generally, what we're seeing, you know, the contrarian astrologers are the ones who are working the most but they get the least press. How do you work? I mean, it's not about just, you know, pouring over charts. You're, you're using are you artificial intelligence, did you say? Yeah. So we use, uh, well, you know, first generation black box, uh, artificially intelligent black box systems where um, that can um, look at over several thousand factors simultaneously in conjunction with planetary alignment. So 7,000, uh, data sets and then see how they correlate to uh, particular, particular aspects, declination, all these different ways of looking at uh, how, how these planetary alignments correlate with what's happening uh, in regards to a certain set of behavior, price movements, uh, key historical developments, uh, military actions, etc., it seems overwhelmingly complex. Um, I mean, how how does one begin to learn all of this? How do you, how did you become an astrologer? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a long story. But I started back in the late 1980s, and just you know, was a kid in college who was just really interested in finding a little bit more about uh, about uh, what he should be doing or what I should be doing with my life and my career. And uh, from there, I began a very uh, intense uh, study with a number of astrologers over a 20-year period. And then I started a professional practice a bit earlier of the early 1990s, and I've been doing that ever since. And then I, you know, uh, what happened is astrology pushed me in the early 1990s to get into computers, PCs, the internet. So I was on the internet before uh, Netscape Navigator was out there. And my goal was to take uh, the developments in computer science and, and, and especially what I was seeing with the internet uh, and to integrate that all into astrology uh, to, you know, <clears throat> to provide uh to get much more accuracy uh, in terms of uh, be able to, I knew astrology was capable of doing more than what it was doing. Certainly by um, certainly by the early 1990s, because what was dominating the headlines, I was personally by the late 1980s, early 1990s, when uh, the book was released uh, by Joan Quigley on the Reagan and how she advised the Reagan administration. So um, I knew astrology was capable of doing a lot more of that, but it was limited because of the fact that we didn't have a uh, global network where we could pull in data or we could exchange concepts and ideas. Uh, this is really crucial uh, and necessary to, you know, and so there's been massive advanced developments, both in financial astrology, geopolitical astrology, psychological astrology. I mean, it's uh, exponential development uh, at a level that we've never seen in the 2000 plus year history of astrology that's happened since uh, the emergence of the internet in the early 1990s. So that's what pushed me to do all of this. And then, um, you know, I was a full-time Full-time infer computer engineer in New York City, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and you know I decided 
in 2017 to do this full-time, although I did have an international practice prior to that. I was going to Japan. I was going to Europe. I was certainly meeting, um, you know, uh, certainly working with Wall Street hedge funds uh, when I lived in New York. So it, it, it was a it was more of a development, an evolutionary development, uh, being fast-tracked and being driven by the technology. Then we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, continue to delve into financial and geopolitical astrology, William Stickiverse. And uh, the website is williamstickiverse.com, williamstickiverse, S-T-I-C-K-E-V-E-R-S.com. Back with more of our conversation in a moment. Stay with me. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with William Stickiverse. Planetary alignment. When you wake up, what are you looking for? Just walk us through, let's say we're looking at geopolitical events. Let's start with geopolitics. What are you looking for in terms of alignment and how that, I know this is very rudimentary, but how that will affect world events? Well, basically what I look at it is a snapshot of the year of the, particularly of the outer planets, that being Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and see what they'll be doing over a 12-month period. Now, for the listeners uh, out there, the astrological new year doesn't start on January 1st. It actually starts on March 20th, which is when the sun ingresses into zero Aries. And the astrological new year on the other side of the world for the past 2000 years started on the new moon in the first week of February, which would be the Chinese new year. So the period of February into late March is a cuspal liminal period where we see a transition in the energy and the narrative of key developments that are going to define that astrological year. So we're at the tail end of 2021, and now going to be transitioning soon into 2022 in terms of what are going to be the dominant themes that will dominate all the way into the winter of 2023. So I look at all of that, and I look at uh, what particular alignments between those planets uh, between those geocentric, geocentric descending nodes, heliocentric descending and ascending nodes. I look at the Barbo Planetary Cyclic Index. Uh, I look at a number of other things and I see uh, what developments, what are going to be happening. And then I, then I go back and I look historically when those same events and shifts were occurring. Because although history doesn't repeat itself, it often rhymes. So we can see when we know for sure now, we have enough data now to correlate planetary alignments and uh, their intersection with global conflicts, with challenging histories in periods, with economic deflationary periods, with uh, periods that correlate with widespread suspicion, pessimism, tension, uh, boom periods, uh, renaissance periods, periods of where we can basically correlate uh, mass socioeconomic stagnation, populism. Um, so there's going to be, we look at all of these different things. And then from there, we look at the most important thing after that is look at the context, at the context of what is really going on in the world. That's a big issue, especially if all you're doing is 
uh, using CNN as your news or BBC, right? Like that's a big problem. That's my big, big qualm with a lot of what's happening now with the astrology is, is the fact that they're using this mainstream, um, you know, uh, type of news that is more, more with propaganda. Uh, Pushing a biased narrative. Com- right. Correct. Right. And, and so that will skew their narrative and their projection. So what I do is I have a number of different news services that they're not mainstream. Uh, I, I'm a member of many different think tanks um, and, and uh, uh, special membership groups uh, where I get all different types of information, data, what's happening geopolitically, what's happening in terms of technology, science on the cutting edge. And I, I use that. I put that all together and then layer that over the, these different major powerful alignments and then make informed, intuitive speculations with the greatest degree of accuracy I can based on what the computer modeling is showing to what is probably going to happen. So we can always talk. We can only talk in regards to probability, not certainty. All right. So let's talk about two major potential geopolitical events on the horizon, and that is uh, would be a, a communist China's invasion of Taiwan mm-hmm. and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What does planetary alignment suggest could occur there? Yeah, well, this is, um, yeah, absolutely. Because the reason we could say this is uh, we've seen periods uh, of crises that occur where, you know, we have um, periods of uh, the potential for high conflict, right? So I'll list off what I'm seeing here. So what we see is when we see the correlation of the geocentric south node of Saturn conjunct Pluto or the geocentric north node of Saturn conjunct Pluto, and you go all the way back in history, and if we just go back, for instance, all into the 1930s, we see the onset of the we see the onset of the Great Depression. We see the uh, national bank holiday that followed when they closed the banks for eight days worldwide and reopened them, took care of your money. This was followed by the confiscation of gold of the Gold uh, Hoarding Act. Uh, this was followed by the U.S. Devalu- uh, U.S. dollar devaluation being the world reserve currency. Uh, this followed by the National Banking Act. Then we saw the correlation of the COVID-19 pandemic event correlate with that same alignment. And then we see the contested 2020 election, the Biden administration. And, uh, and so, and we've, so we've seen, you know, if we go back even far prior to that, we see the U S civil war, the Taiping revolution, the Taiping revolution. Uh, we've seen the first world war. So we're seeing the same type of alignments that correlated with these global conflicts, with these revolutions, uh, with these um, alliances, these uh, these major paradigm shifts. So this alignment in particular deals with uh, high-intensity conflicts, systemic financial crisis, foreign policy crisis, revolutions, uh, where we see republics turn into empires. Let me state that again. Constitutional republics, like the Rome, like Rome, right, turn into an empire, Plutocracies, the rise of plutocracies. We see the development of crony capitalism, too big to fail, too big to jail, and what is now being termed totalitarian 
democracy. So a plutocracy that operates uh, on the back end with the front end being a totalitarian democracy. That's being the economic system is a crony form of capitalism. And then we also see covert intelligence operations that are driving the narrative or false, false flag events, unprecedented watershed developments in, of historical significance in regards to, um, uh, you know, like full developments uh, on the world stage uh, that correlate with, um, you know, the potential for war conflict. Right now we have what? We had a currency war. We have a technology war. We have a trade war. We have a cold war. And we have the potential for a high-intensity conflict in uh, Eastern Europe with the Ukraine crisis brewing, uh, certainly the situation in Iran and and the situation where China has made it very clear they are going to acquire Taiwan one way or the other. And they are willing, they're willing to have a conflict uh, with the United States over that uh, because it's when they believe they can win. So these are all things that are coming to a head. And I think the bigger issue is the fact that we're seeing a complete breakdown of the fiat currency, uh, fiat currency fractional reserve banking system. Not great news, uh, William. Well, we're, we're approaching a break here, but just to sort of address this and then revisit it on the other side of the uh, break here. You mentioned constitutional democracies becoming authoritarian or tyrannical. Um, mm-hmm. We see what's happening in, in Australia right now right. and New Zealand up here in Canada, our, our own prime minister, dehumanizing, demonizing the unvaccinated, asking rhetorically, should we tolerate them? And people are wondering what is going on. So are you able to to predict this in advance? Did you see this coming, let's say, even pre-COVID? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, uh, in, back in January uh, at in New York City, uh, at the New York Open Center, <laughs> I predicted that we would have a black swan event that would shake up the very foundations of our civilization and define the narrative, or at least be the trigger that would then define the narrative moving forward for the remainder of the 21st century. And, you know, I remember <laughs> getting, uh, getting a lot of hostile kickback from that from the audience, uh, although they were, you know, uh, very attentive to wanting to hear what I had to say. So, um, you know, and then I remember, uh, you know, then within, within, actually within two weeks, COVID broke out. Now, I didn't know it was going to be a, a global pandemic. I didn't know. I just knew this was going to be big and I knew it was going to be equivalent in s- scope, uh, even greater in power and impact than 2008, 9-11, and 1929 combined, and that this would persist and continue all the way through 2028, 2029. In fact, I said this was the second act of 2008, right? 2008, we had the global financial crisis. Then we had uh, British exit. We had the near collapse of Europe. The European Union almost collapsed. The Greek crisis then we saw uh, British exit. We saw the rise of Trump. We saw all this populism all throughout the planet. We saw um, the, the Arab Spring in the Middle East with 17 nations went into revolution. So there, a lot of things have happened. So that was, that was like um, Act 1. Then we're now transitioning into Act 2. All right. We'll uh, pick up on Act 2 
WilliamStickiverse.com. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with William Stickiverse, financial and geopolitical astrology. We are seeing the rise of populist movements. I mean, going back to, I suppose, Brexit and then the election of Trump. Now we're seeing on the European continent, the rise of populist movements in France and Italy and Hungary. Where is that going? Where, is, where do you see that heading in the next several years, according to planetary alignments? Yeah, so what we see is a mass formation sarcosis developing as a dystopian tool of population control, which will intensify and accelerate as governments begin to crack down further. So we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see the road to fascism, like a global fascism paved with vaccine mandates and techno-corporate state collusion. So we're going to see a much bigger push for that. We're going to see massive applied perception management gaslighting programs that are going to go anabolic this year into next year. Now, this is just in terms of the body politic. This is a global thing. This is not just the US or Canadian thing, right? Or European thing. We're also, look, the biggest issue has to do with the fact that combined with this, there's going to not only be applied perception management programs in regards to the politics, but in regards to the economics, we're going to see them change the CPI where they're going to tell us that inflation is actually 5% and the unemployment is 3%. Meanwhile, the inflation, my prediction, it'll be right now it's about 15.8% and it moving to 20 it will go into hyperinflation in many, many countries outside of the United States, but we'll see Canada hitting 20, 25% inflation, US 20%, and Europe probably around the same. And then you see countries like Turkey, Argentina, you're going to see all these emerging market countries go through hyperinflationary events because the US dollar is collapsing in purchasing power and they're using all sorts of means to cover that up. We're going to see the great resignation, massive labor shortages. It's not just with unskilled workers with skilled workers. We're going to see all of these global supply chain disruptions. The whole system of governance that has defined our world since 1945 up to 2020 is breaking down rapidly as a new world order, a new system, a new system of money, a new system of governance is emerging at the same time. The collapse of the old Bretton Woods monetary system and moving into what? Digital currency, central planning of the economy. Will I be able to decide if I want to buy a new car or a new dining room table, or will that all be determined based on my social credit score? Is that where we're headed? Yeah, well, that's where, where, that's where they want to head this. Obviously, the uh, Bitcoin is the greatest threat to... Bitcoin is not only the greatest threat to Wall Street, but to governments. Bitcoin replaces government, it replaces the need for bankers, it replaces the need for lawyers. So it's going to... Bitcoin is... The catalyst, or I would say Bitcoin is equivalent to what LSD was for the countercultural revolution of the 1960s. That's the best way I could sort of phrase it. That's an excellent analogy. Thank you. And so I, I believe we're going to see that's going to be the most powerful disruptive force, especially when you see Paraguay and you see other nation states accept it as a currency for legal, as a legal currency, a currency that they will also be mining and keeping it as part of their core reserve and swapping out US dollars. So they're moving away from the dollar system because they don't have a choice. So we're going to see that proliferate, and that's going to change. Now, the counter to that, that's the utopian shift. 
the dystopian is where the Chinese central bank, the Federal Reserve come out with their Chinese yuan, which will be deployed on the date of the opening of the Winter Olympics. And later this year, or most likely next year, the Federal Reserve will come out with their Fed coin. And that Fed coin will be a programmable form of money that will be connected to your social credit score and your financial credit score that will determine how you spend that money, when you spend it, where you can spend that. That will be unique based on your behavior to keep you in compliance and to move and shift your behavior. Because once they can control your money, they can control your behavior. Would that be, uh, let's talk about America for a moment. Could this plan be interrupted or delayed by the result of the midterm election? A lot of people are talking about a, uh, a red tsunami, you know, that the, the, the Republicans mm-hmm. could pick up something like 80 seats in the House, another mm-hmm. maybe four or five in the Senate. How much could change as a result of the midterm elections? Yeah, so this, this is going to be a voter revolt. This is going to be equivalent to what happened in 2016. It's going to, of course, the mainstream media, Don Lemon of the CNN team, they're going to play this thing down. But this wave is going to be happening, not just in the Senate, where it's going to be 54, 55 senators, Republican. We, Like you said, we're going to see the House go red. We're going to see it happen at the municipal level, the governor level. We're going to happen. It's going to happen Right, we're going to see blue districts turn red for the first time in even states such as California. So this is going to be a massive voter revolt. So yes, uh, will it be enough? However, that's the question, right? Will it be enough to forward their, um, you know, this dystopian plan for a global one-world global order? Now, uh, I'm not I'll so convinced. Pardon the interruption, William. We're going to take a, a time out. We'll come back and we'll, we'll pick up on that thread. William Stickovers, williamstickovers.com, financial, geopolitical, astrology. Back with more in a moment. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with William Stickovers. We're discussing financial and geopolitical astrology. William Stickovers. Dot com S-T-I-C-K-E-V-E-R-S dot com. So we were talking about the midterm elections in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, red tsunami. You're saying that uh, that that could what that could forestall the inevitable or what else? What are the other possibilities? There's a high probability. Astrology has been showing this for a while that there and especially because the fact that the election will occur on a lunar eclipse. So we know historically when we have. Uh, elections correlate within a day or the day of or day after following an eclipse, we see a party that was dominant in power fall, right? So somebody falls and someone rises. Uh, So there's going to be massive reversals uh, in the power structure. That being said, we have a bigger issue and that has to do with the deep state. So will this be enough to slow down the policies of a deep state complex that is essentially hijacked our constitutional democracy and trying to push us into a global empire and where we start really behaving like a global empire uh, in a way that's much more overt? So uh, the United States is essentially an empire, a covert empire that projects itself as a democracy or a uh, democracy that operates within a constitutional framework. And that has certainly not been the case, uh, certainly 
for a good 20 some odd years. And so we're now seeing this getting pushed out. So I I would say that we're going to still look the big collision between populist or anti-globalist nationalist forces and populist forces and all that populist rise is going to go against this globalist coalition. And, the, you know, so I you could separate it out between people who take the red pill and people who take the blue pill, right? The blue pill folks are like, hey, I'm all for Biden, Kamala, she can't happen soon enough. I'm all for this outsourcing. Everything's fine. I've gotten vaxxed. I'm getting my fourth booster, right? What are you guys talking about? This is craziness. Let's do a show on something more you know, sane and real, right? And then you've got everybody else listening to the show, the red pill are going, yeah, man, I totally understand what you're saying. This can't happen fast enough. Something must change. I'm willing to do whatever it takes now to change this, whether I have to vote, whether I have to do, you know, so we're going to see a much more political activism, social activism. So you're going to see a bifurcation, which has already begun, but the bifurcation will grow wider, get more intense and get more confrontational in a much more overt way in 2022. There are some asking for a national divorce in the United States because of irreconcilable differences. How can a conservative Christian, for example, coexist with a, uh, an atheistic cultural Marxist who hates Western civilization? What, what do you see in terms of a dissolution of the union? Look, let me go back here a second. So there is outer planetary alignments. And then we have to look at, at things at another layer. And the other layer I look at is who's the dominant world power or dominant world power countries, right? So the United States, in terms of its power index, economically, technologically, and militarily, stands far above even that of China. When you combine them together, right, the US is still the dominant hegemon. Now, in global mundane astrology, we look at to the astrological portents to that particular nation, state, or empire to determine the narrative for the remaining nation states and how they will respond to that behavior or that impact. Okay. So, I mean, it's like the rise, of, to give you an example, the price of Bitcoin basically determines the price of all the other cryptocurrencies. It doesn't matter, right? How bullish an old an altcoin is if if Bitcoin is now you know taking a fifty percent um, uh, crash right so it's the same we look at the U S and the big thing that's happening right now U S A is through Pluto return which is marking the beginning of the of second act of the fourth turning right fourth turning is um, I, I believe there was a number of people on your show that have talked about the American fourth turning. We've seen it's a it's a, it's a it's a crisis that occurs uh, somewhere between every 84 and 92 years during a Uranus revolutionary period. Last time we had it was during World War II and the Great Depression. We're having it right now. It started exactly in 2008, just it was predicted right in the late 1980s by two professors. Uh, so we're seeing not only the fourth turning, but the fact that the U.S. is going through the Pluto turn. If you go back in history. The last time we saw a republic through a Pluto return and its 247-year history is when it shifted from a republic into an empire during a 20-year crisis. And that has to do with what happened to Rome. So the Roman Republic shifted into a full-blown empire and many issues, right? You had successionists, in fact, Gaul wanted to succeed from the Republic, right, which started a civil war and required the rise of Julius Caesar, who then restored order, right? They assassinated him, 
This is very classic. And then we see the rise of the first emperor of Rome, Octavian, right? Octavian Caesar Augustus. And so he basically launches an empire that becomes the world's first superpower that would last 700 to 800 years, depending on the time frame, but about 700 some plus years. All right. So that would define not only what would happen during that period, but would basically set you know, the rise of Great Britain, which was a vassal state of Rome. So you could see, and then the United States is a vassal state of the British Empire that became an empire. So you could see the connection here. Uh, by the way, when Great Britain went through the Pluto return, it was during the 1940s. What was happening? They were in an existential crisis. The, the empire was in collapse. Nazi Germany was winning that war until the Americans and the Canadians, all right, came in, right? And so, right. And it's still then it was a close call until 1943, 44. So the point is, is that they lost, they were the world reserve currency. They lost that, right. They, the empire began breaking up, right. India broke away and all these African and Asian, they started breaking away. So you could see that the United States is in this crisis, either it will collapse or it will transform. The question is, what will it transform into? Uh, very quickly, just a few minutes. What do you see in terms of populist uprisings in uh, Europe? The globalist Macron is facing an election. He has a number of right-wing opponents, Le Pen, and uh, another gentleman whose name escapes me is just uh, now emerging on that scene. We see massive protests that are not covered by the mainstream media in uh, objection to these uh, vaccine mandates in Vienna, in all across Italy, all across France, all across Look at uh, the Netherlands. Kazakhstan, of course. What happened? What, what's happening in Kazakhstan is not going to stay in Kazakhstan. That's going to spread everywhere. And what's driving it? Inflation, high energy prices. In fact, what's happening in Kazakhstan is impacting the price of Bitcoin because it's the second largest mining facility in the world. The U.S. is number one. So that's and and it's the highest producer of uranium in the world. So what happens in Kazakhstan? That's being driven by inflation, out of control inflation, the collapse of the currency, what's happening in Turkey is going to be spreading into Europe. It's going to, it's going to be crucial to what's happening in France because we have a high-risk scenario of a far-right candidate who could win the presidency and lead the next French government. So this is not a sure thing. Now, right now, I would give Macron still a 53% chance of winning, but his prospects of winning go from 53 to 50-50 between now and the first round of the French National Assembly elections in June. I have to have you back on, William, and do the full two hours. This is absolutely uh, amazing information, so complex, and uh, I know so very little about astrology. I'd like to learn more. William, how do we get in touch with you and um, seek your guidance and your counsel? Yeah, I mean, I'm available. I'm very approachable. Uh, You could reach me out on Facebook. Uh, you can go to my website, williamstickovers.com. I also have a global transformational astrology membership where I'm doing what you're doing here, doing forecast projections every week, right? I'm doing a forecast. Um, you know, it's a, these are like high intensity, heavy duty, deep dive projections financially, geopolitically. We go into nation states. I give uh, many, many predictions on election outcomes. I have a high, I have an 87%, this is on record, uh, accuracy on those things. And, you know, I also have a crypto astrology group because I've been doing Bitcoin since 2010, right? So I was, because I was in the tech world 
So I started that last year and that group is growing and I help people with their investment strategies. Uh, and, you know, so we, I have two different groups. They can check me out there. They can go to my website, williamstickevers.com and check them out along with going to my blog where I post quite a bit of predictions as well. I hope to speak with you again in the not too distant future on this program. William, great to meet you. Thank you so much for this. Great to meet you. Thank you for having me. Next, the year that was in UFO disclosure with Victor Vigiani. Stay with us. <laughs> 